Ron and Anian. I should have known yesterday it was going to be one of those days. I open the gate to the shop. I get out. I, You know, it's Friday. I went to the deli. I had breakfast. I, I go to the shop. I take the lock off the front gate, and the lock fell apart. Got to work late because my alarm was busted. The boss chewed me out, and everybody's disgusted because it's one of those days. The Car Doctor. I want to know the weather because weather affects barometric pressure, weather affects vehicle operation, and I want to make sure the information I'm giving might be not vehicle weather specific type of stuff. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage door are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and Indian, the car doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. As always, the car doctor's phone number is 24-7. It is toll-free, 855-560-9900. A lot going on. Um, boy, what a busy week. Uh, CarDoctorShow.com, too, by the way. Let me get that out there uh, so that you're aware. And you can also podcast from there and get to all the usual places. Um, I read an interesting article real quick before I know the phones are lit up. Just real fast. Um, just to throw it out there, and if you want to talk about this this hour, we can. Um, it's up to you. But, you know, there was a recent article online that I was reading, and I'll, I'll paraphrase and quote it here as I'm reading from it. Mercedes-Benz will make an electric or hybrid version of all its cars by 2022, and they're not alone. Volvo will go all electric electric by next year can you imagine volvo is going to be all electric no more internal combustion engine at volvo uh you know i don't know what they're thinking um ford has plans for an electric f-150 truck and an electric mustang gm will launch 10 electric or hybrid cars in the country by 2020 and mercedes-benz's christopher von hugo says the coolness of self-driving cars will help convince the public that the coming electric vehicles will be worthwhile I mean, that's a pretty bold statement. You've got some major players there betting on electric and hybrid vehicles as the way forward. And I'm not convinced. And my rationale is, and here's, you know, they, they all talk about you know, the coolness of it and self-driving cars. And the, here's what's going to convince people self-driving cars or electric vehicles are worthwhile. How cheap are they to fix and how often do they break? And that's really the key. And when you stop to look at how long it took us to get internal combustion engine vehicles sorted out in all environments, all weather, you know, the long haul, it was pretty close to 100 years, right? I mean, it took us a long time in history. And now we're going to bring electric vehicles in. They've been around in some form at some volume, maybe 15 years now, I'm thinking. Um, I think it's a pretty daunting task. I'm not convinced that it's going to work willing to look at it but not convinced it's going to work but um you know what are your thoughts what do you think about it send me an email ron at cardoctorshow.com or give us a call 855-560-9900 you want to talk about electric vehicles and self-driving vehicles are they the way forward are they the wave of the future and um, be interesting conversation let's have that one either this week or next week whatever your heart desires let's kick the garage doors open anthony and uh, let's go over and let's go talk to let's go talk to terry in tennessee 93 ford tempo terry welcome to the car doctor how can i help uh, yes, sir. I've got a 1993 Ford Tempo. Okay. Uh, it's a low-mileage car. Uh, it's got about 100,000 miles on it. And uh, I bought it for my uh, daughter to drive, and she got another one, so uh, I ended up with it back. Um, <clears throat> I uh, took a, a long trip, and it had been running fine. 
And I came back home and made the turn to come into the garage, and I heard a pop. And since then, it's had a massive uh, power steering leak. Okay. And uh, I I thought at once maybe it was the uh, reservoir, uh, but I took it off and checked it. I plugged it and filled it up, and it's it, it holds fluid by itself. Uh, but um, the problem I'm having is getting to it, the power steering pump and the main lines, uh, because I don't know if you're familiar or not, but that year model has got that <clears throat> gigantic alternator bracket on it. Oh yeah, is this what? Is, what, what engine? What engine was? Is, is this Terry? This is the four cylinder or the six? Uh, it's the four cylinder. Okay, and the alternator's in the back, right? Uh, well, no, it's it's in the front. Okay, but but it's 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 in the front of the engine or the rear of the engine up top. Yeah, it, it, it's it's up top, but it's it's uh, it's facing the radiator. It's on the radiator side. Okay, gotcha, 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 gotcha. And the power steering pump is just below it, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Now I got gotcha. you. Um, okay. So your question to me is, how do you get to the pump? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to get to the pump and the lines because the lines I can see the the beginning of the lines from the pump, but then they disappear. And my main question is, I've took the alternator off, and I can't see where <laughs> I can't <laughs> see where to take the actual bolts out of the bracket to the alternator. Are they are they somehow under it or? The bolts out of the bracket to the alternator. Well, don't the bolts come in from the front or the passenger side of the uh, vehicle? Uh, see, I've I, I've not been able to find the bolts in the bracket uh, to take it off, and it's got to come off to get to the pump. But so I'm I'm at a loss. I've looked and looked, and I, I can't see them. Well, do you have the do you have the alternator out of the vehicle? No. Uh, not not right now. I put the alternator back in where I could move it, and uh, so I, I I put the uh, alternator back in. So you can get now, the you can get the alternator out. You can't get the bracket out. True. Yes. Okay. So the bracket. Look at the bracket. The way it's it's bolted to the block. If I remember right, I think there's four holes. Maybe it's two, but the bolts are recessed into the aluminum of the bracket. Okay. All right. From what I remember. And okay. and you know you take the alternate once the alternator's out now maybe it's filled up with some mung and schmutz, technical terms and okay. you know the the bolts are recessed down under but if I remember right it was a matter of looking and finding the bolts on the bracket taking them out and then the whole bracket lifts off and then you can get to the pump. Okay. okay. All right. And and, and another question. Um, the, it seems to be, when I say a massive um, power steering leak, I mean, you can fill it up and turn the car on, and in 15 minutes' time, the reservoir is completely empty. Okay. So where's the fluid coming out? Behind the motor? In front well, of the motor? It, it seems to be, it's, I don't know if the, um, the pulleys are throwing it towards the, you know, the, the passenger side firewall, which would be the front. Uh, or it's uh, it my uh, belt is is getting soaked. Okay, so it's up front, right? Is, is what you're saying. Right. So so it's it's either the front seal of the pump 
has failed. Okay. Okay. Or okay. The, the power steering, there's a rubber portion, if I remember right. Isn't there a rubber portion of the power steering hose up there by the pump where it, the, the, the one return line, if I remember right, had a piece of rubber in it? It, it plugs into the nipple on the reservoir? Right, right. The, I, I replaced the supply line because that's the only one that I could access. Right. Uh, but the, the line that you're talking about, I've looked at it the portion that I can get to, and it seems to be okay. Okay. Well, let's think of it like this, all right? Uh, you know, if if you wash everything down and have somebody start it up and you're looking with a light, it's you've got to see the source of where it's coming from first. Okay. Right? right. Now, if if it looks like, you know, the inside of the pulley is dry, wash out the pulley – and the pulley gets soaking wet, and you don't see fluid spraying on it, then it sounds like it's the front seal of the pump. Okay. You know, normally, I would tell somebody to add a fluorescent dye to the fluid, whichever one we're trying to figure out the leak on, and, and look okay. for the dye. But it sounds like this is such a massive leak of epic proportion that you're, you're, you're probably wasting time going through the motion. Yes, sir. You, you know, it, it just sounds like it's that big. So that's what I would do. Now, you know, my concern is it's 25 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, I I would put a pump in it. I would try and change whatever lines I can still get. All right. Okay. And, you know, if you're going to start to drive this car, then, you know, keep in mind that all the rubber is 25 years old. And, right. you know, if, if once you've got it apart, you only want to take it apart once type of a thing. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now, it may also get easier if you take out the radiator to gain okay. access to some of this. But but watch what I tell you, you know, and here's a case where the argument can be made for system repair, all right? Okay. You know, you're going to take apart this 25-year-old, how many miles are on it? 100,000? Uh, it's got 100,000. Right. Original radiator? Uh, I would, I, I've not ever changed it, so I would guess that it is. Right. Original hoses? Uh, no, no, the hoses have, have been changed. Okay. How long ago? Uh they're not motor craft, so I, I, I don't know. They're, right. they're aftermarket, so, but they have been changed. So know, I, I, I wouldn't. Five years old, 10 years old. You know, we're dealing with 25-year-old car here. Yeah, I would say uh, we've had the car now for about five years, and uh, I, the guy that we bought it from was pretty mechanical, so I'd say he was the one. Ch- so I'm, I'm guessing between, I guess, eight years, right. eight to ten. So, you know, all the rubber on this car is somewhere between eight and 25 years old. I, I'd be thinking you're going to have to put a belt on it for the power steering leak. You're going to want to do the power steering pump. You're going to want to do the lines. I would I would start thinking about a radiator and hoses. Okay. Uh, you know, while you got it open and you get some access to things, I'd put a I'd put a thermostat in there. It's a good time to just kind of do the obvious. Right. Uh, you know, right. it's it's not like this is an easy car to work on, and it's not easy to source parts. So right. you know, don't wait five more years to try and find a good radiator for it because you don't know what five years is going to bring. <laughs> right. You, you know, things right. t- things tend to disappear off the shelf. Do you have an O'Reilly? Yeah. Do you have an O'Reilly Auto Parts down there in your neck of the woods, Terry? Oh, I sure sure do. Just yeah. right down the road. Yeah, and then get over to the get over to your local O'Reilly Auto Parts and start talking to them. Tell them what you're working on, and uh, you know, try and scoff up some of the. Uh, some of the parts from them because you'll find that they've got the better quality stuff and uh, they're great when it comes to warranty and any other issues and they've got the right answers. Their counter people are second to none. 
Right. Uh, but, hey, how now? How big a job is, is this? I mean, have you have you replaced the pumps on one of these? Yeah, cars? I mean, back in the day, we used to do pumps. We used to do radiators. We see these cars all the time. Um, okay. You know, it's 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 just a matter of having the time, the patience, and picking your way through it. Um, you know, it was nuts and bolts. The hard part about this job is going to be things are going to be a little dried out and 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 rigid and and tough. So you got to take some time and think about your moves. You're playing you're playing poker and chess at the same time, my friend. You've got to be a little cunning and you got to think about what moves you're going to make before you make them. Uh, do you have time for another quick question? I do. If you can let me pull over and take a pause, hang on, and we'll be back right after this. The car doctor, we're back. Let's get real quick back to Terry. Go ahead, Terry. We got two minutes. Go ahead, real fast. Uh, yes, sir. I've got a. I also got a 1988 Cadillac Brome, okay. and the uh, transmission finally went kaput. Right. And it's got the turbo hydromatic 200 4R. Right. Uh, I was wondering what your thoughts are regarding the transmission. If if it's if that's what I should go back with or. Maybe some something else. No, I think I would go back with that. I would I would take it to somebody to you know get it evaluated and rebuilt. And a lot's changed in the in the world in the thirty plus years since that trans came out. And there's been a lot of improvements. Um, I don't know of a direct swap. I'm sure the trans guy would. Perhaps there is something better. But before we start changing too many things, my concern would be the rest of the car in terms of will it work together with it. So think of it like this: that 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 Turbo Four Hundred. That 204R, it lasted, let's see, 88, 98, 2008. It lasted 40 years. Um, that's a pretty good record. I don't think you're going to have it 40 years from now. So, uh, you know, I would take, take take and get it evaluated by a trans guy. Tell him what you're looking for. Is there a better version of that, or is there a, uh, an upgrade with better heavy-duty parts to put in it? And um, go with that, and I think you'll be just fine. So make sure he flushes out the trans cooler, which I'm sure he will. He'll know that in the radiator. And, um, you know, just make sure the fluids, everything is clean. And uh, consider maybe putting an auxiliary trans cooler on top of the one that's there. Maybe that would help longevity, depending upon how you're using the vehicle. Terry, i got to run to the next call. I appreciate all that you've asked. And uh, thanks for being part of the Car Doctor Nation. Let us know what happens with the uh, Ford Tempo. Lance in Bismarck, how can I help you, sir? What's going on? Um, I have a 2012 Ford Fusion. I had a question about how to prevent rust. Um, say the car is only six years old and I have the trunk is rusting along the lip where it comes down and meets the bumper. Okay. Checked with the dealership and they said, well, you're a year past the, the paint warranty. I wash the car weekly. It's stored at a garage, which is around 40 degrees. You know, what else can I do to prevent rust? I think six years, it's already rusting out, is kind of a short term. For, yeah, I, and I agree. Is it, you know, do you wash it at a car wash or you hand wash it? Yep. No, at a car wash. All right. So you I'd know, go to the car wash. During the summer, I hand wash it, but. Okay. I'd, I'd ask the car wash, what are they using for water? Would be my first question. And the only reason I point okay. this out, and I don't want to make everybody run back to the car wash and say, what are you guys doing right or wrong? But mm -hmm. I have had conversations. Matter of fact, I had one with Joe, the local car wash owner here in North Jersey at one of the places I go, and I asked him what his mix is. And, you know, he's mixing it right. I think he said he was doing um, – because they do recycle their water, and that's my point. So, yep. you know, if they're recycling their water and you're in a state where it's 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 heavy salt use on the road, you're you're taking that salt and that grit and the contaminant and then washing the car with it in a sense. Although they claim mm -hmm. that they're recycling to a certain level, but they do they can save money by using, you know, 
more recycled than fresh water in in, in that sense okay. is, is my understanding. So if I'm wrong, somebody in the car wash business, please call me up and correct me, set me straight. Um, but I agree. Yeah. It's, it's, it is too soon. I have seen my share of Ford Explorers do the exact same thing in, in rusting out the hood. And I yeah, question... My parents have a 20... 20- no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was, was going to say, go ahead, finish. What your Explorer do your parents have? No, I was just going to say my parents have a 2013 Ford Explorer, and they had issues with the paint on their hood rusting. Right. And, and about a year ago, they had to have it repainted. Yep. And and because it's specific panels, it makes me think it's a, it's a vendor issue. It's how it was assembled and prepped. Mm-hmm. All right? You mm-hmm. know, it's it, because in the case of the Explorer, I don't know what it is in the case of your Fusion, but in the case of the Explorer, it's only the hood that I've seen bl- uh, blister and, and bubble like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, if it was the whole vehicle, if it was, you know, we used to see things with ground issues on certain cars and how they would rust, uh, you know, as well as environment and all that. But because it's uh, because it's that one panel, it makes me think what's particular to that? How is that one panel being handled and assembled? Here, I've got one for you, my 2004 mm-hmm. Suburban. Garage kept and babied since day one, 56,000 miles. Just like all the Suburbans and Tahoes and Trailblazers of that generation, it is blistering the paint around the rear hatch push button that opens the rear hatch. Uh, you know, there's there's no there's no <laughs> yeah, reason for it. Uh, you know, the cars, yeah, exactly. there's, there's a car that's been pampered more than, you know, any two-year-old in the country. Um, if you yeah. if you touch the paint on the Suburban, it's still smooth and feels shiny, and it feels wet even when the car is dry. It's been waxed so much. So I, you know, mm-hmm. I would I would go back and just ask the car wash, hey, you know, just out of curiosity, can you tell me what the mix is, how much recycled water to fresh are you using? If he says he's using all fresh water, then it's got nothing to do with the car wash. It's uh, going to be the panel, you know. Um, have you looked underneath the car real quick before I let you go? Yeah, and underneath it looks fine. Okay, it's just you know the only thing I can see is that trunk. Then it's going to be it's going it's it's probably is. not car wash related. It's probably how that panel was assembled from Ford, and um, I would I would just get it fixed and just be aware of it. And uh, maybe the body guy can tell you more once he strips the material down. Good luck to you, Lance, and uh, thanks for calling in. Hey, coming up next, an old friend from the past, Ron Ross, returns with the history and the demise of Englishtown Raceway Park, New Jersey. Stay tuned. I'm Ronnie the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. That's right. If you call and we're not live, you can leave a message and we'll call you back to get you on the air with Ron. 855-560-9900. Speaking of Ron, here he is. It has been quite a while since I've spoken to our next uh, next guest, and I, I consider him a very dear friend. Um, it's been a couple of years. We used to talk up here on radio quite frequently when he was the owner of Simonek Performance, and uh, um, some recent changes in the industry have uh, cited me to sit there and say, you know what, it's probably time to reach out to Ron and bring him back. I want to talk a little bit about ATL, where he is now, but um, I just want to talk about uh, Raceway Park in Lickstown, New Jersey. Mr. Ron Ross, welcome back, sir. Hey, good afternoon. Um Let's talk about ATL. Well, let's talk about why you're here. Why are you at ATL and not no longer Simonek? Can we talk about that real quick, not to bring up a painful episode maybe? I hope it wasn't painful for you. No, not not at all. I, I mean, I ran Simonek Performance, which was uh, my own company where I built racing on performance engines for about 21 years. 
But with the change in the industry and how things were going, harder and harder to make a profit, I had a chance to move on to another company and close a small shop that I had, and, and I elected to do that five years ago. Yeah, and now you're at ATL Fuel Cells, atlfuelcells.com, and you guys are, you know, we've talked about this once in a while. We see each other at breakfast, and um, you're, you're, you guys are building fuel cells and bladders for everything from small race cars to the military to, uh, you know, um, what, what are some of the crazy things you've seen in the past five years? Oh, boy. Well, I'm really on the motorsports end, and we do it. And by fuel cells, so everybody gets it right. That's really a crash-resistant type of gas tank, something that can be deformed and not like fuel. But we do almost everything in the racing industry. We do a lot of military. We do a lot of industrial. We even do a lot of stuff for NASA and SpaceX and that. And uh, it's just been a great company so far to work for. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've heard some of the things you guys have made. You, um, you, you, you also have, like, portable fuel bladders to extend the range of boats so people get an idea of what you're dealing with. So if somebody wants to add, you know, 100 gallons to the deck or 200 gallons to the deck, they can get a bladder made and go take a boat ride, go further out, go more deep-sea fishing kind of thing, right? Oh, absolutely. That, that's one of the big areas that's growing for us the last few years the marine industry and all those there's just so many uses for this that uh it is kind of exciting every day even though i only see the motorsports and to hear about everything else we're working on so in the five years that you're there ron do you do you think the motorsports side is growing staying the same shrinking uh, you know well what's your feel ooh. well that that's a tough one there's definitely some areas of motorsports no matter how much i don't want to say it uh that are shrinking um, a lot of it is is struggling to find, you know, corporate sponsorship and correct money to keep going. And some of it is doing okay and, and even growing somewhat in different areas. But uh, drag racing in particular and a few others really taking a hit with this economy. Now, do you think it's the economy? Do you think it's, you know, it's not like it when we were coming up, right? It was, you know, you could you could go buy an old Camaro or an old something and go drag racing and spend, you know, a few thousand dollars and, and you're there. Now it's very competitive. It's very costly. Uh, you know, and the kids today, they don't have that kind of money. They're they're you know, they're just it's it's just out of proportion, I think. And it's just killing the sport, in my opinion. What do you say? That's definitely one of the issues. It, it certainly is to do it correctly and. And, you know, the junkyards and the used parts that, like you say, when we grew up, aren't there. So to do it correctly now does take a lot more money. And there's also just a lot more things for today's kids to do besides cars. So that right. has taken a little bit away from it also. You know, what started this conversation today is, and it's it's not that it's a, 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 a local track to New Jersey. Englishtown Raceway Park has decided to suspend drag racing, period, right? That's yes. no more. Yes. Um, they're keeping, Unfortunately, they're, they're going to keep the 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 motorsport part of it, where they're going to do the uh, uh, the tuner cars. I think, Ron, fill us in. Tell us yes, what's sir. going on down there. Yeah, I mean it's it's grown. It did start. You know, we're going back 1965 when Raceway Park opened here in New Jersey, and it was one of the few drag strips in the area, and grew to be one of the big national event holding drag strips, a real premier facility. But then it also expanded into a drift track and a dirt bike track and some karting and a few other things. And unfortunately, now the big announcement has come out that after 52 years, the drag racing end can no longer support itself financially. And the owners have decided to close that part of the racetrack. Right. And, and, I, and, and, and there's that sign of the times. And you say to yourself, 
Why does a premier shop like Simonek get to that point where, you know, the decision has to be made? Um, you know, Raceway Park gets to that point where the decision has to be made. ATL has the issue where maybe they're not seeing the motorsport sales that they once saw. You know, is, is, is that segment of the industry shrinking? At least in certain parts of the country, that could be true. Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And I don't think there's any one factor. I know a lot of racers have been on the Internet. and They've really been a little rough and hard on the Knapp family that runs Raceway Park for closing it. But looking at it from their side, and granted, I raced there too, but I'm grateful to have done it for the years that they were open at such a great facility. But looking at it from a business side, at the end of the day, that still has to turn a profit so everybody there can take a paycheck and feed their family. Now, how do you think this affects NHRA, which is really, you know, not not that I don't enjoy talking to you, but one of the main reasons I brought you up here today is, you know, we've got to think of, you know, Englishtown Raceway Park as one of, there's, what, 10 national tracks NHRA holds national events at, right? Now there's nine. Well, they actually go to 24 okay. during the year, 24 big races, national events, and that drops to 23. And although people would say, hey, cross off Englishtown and let's just go 23 races this year and have a season, the problem is all the corporate sponsors and the sponsors on the cars paid to be at 24 races and want to be in the New York metro area where there's a lot of exposure. So they have to figure out a way to handle that right. and get by. So keep all the money happy. And, 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 and how do you think they do that? I guess they do. They move it to Atco. Do they move it? Do they create a track? I mean, you can't create a track out of thin air. Well, that's true. There's there's definitely not going to be any new tracks opening, especially out in this area. So they have to find a close enough track that can handle it. And I think the two big choices are either going to be a second event at Maple Grove Raceway, which is in Reading, PA, or possibly a second event at Epping, which is uh, up in New Hampshire. Okay. So either one of them could do it. All right. Well, listen, your 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 best memory of Raceway Park, real quick, what is it? Uh, best memory would have to be, and, and granted I've raced in about four classes there, but would be uh, my wife and my in-laws sitting in the stands one day. The one time they came to watch me race, I managed to go seven rounds in Super Pro, win the big race that day, and that was huge. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know what? And that's why they call them memories, right? And hopefully, that's ho- right. hopefully they're, all they're good. good ones. And yeah, they're good. And you just, you know, we got to move on. Life changes. So exactly. uh, that's part of the experience. Hey, Mr. Russ, let me give a plug to ATL. If the listeners want to, um, you know, if somebody out there is doing some dirt track or modified, or maybe somebody wants to take their fishing boat out further, um, where can they get more information oh, sure. about ATL? Oh, absolutely. Check out our website. It's ATL Inc inc.com definitely check out our facebook page there are really cool videos of inside how we manufacture it and in use and just a lot of good general information is it is it atl inc or atl fuel cells well you can get to it either one okay atl inc is the main site gotcha okay hey listen you have a good week and uh, maybe i'll catch up with you midweek or so Oh, absolutely. We'll see you for breakfast. Thanks okay. so much. Thanks, Ron. You take good care. Um, yeah, that's, you know, we, and for everybody out there, we know this is a national show. You're saying, hey, you know, Raceway Park, no big deal. What does it mean to the guy in California? What it means to the guy in California is, as Ron said, and I thought it was 10, but there's nine, um, it's 24. So you're now short one racetrack. You know, oops, one of our racetracks is missing. Um, we've got to do a, a, a very quick juggle an adjustment in order to get the racing schedule back up to where it's supposed to be and my fear is this is the beginning of what might become something very common here in the northeast as as drag racing continues to take the hits 
and uh, you know not looked upon favorably and not supported because of so many factors. So anyway, eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. I'm running into the car doctor. I'll be back right after this. Why this car is automatic? It's systematic. It's hydromatic. Why it's greased lightning? Hey, welcome back. Ron and the Car Doctor at 855-560-9900. Let's go over and talk to Mike, Portland, Maine, 06 Dodge Stratus, and some tips on a water pump replacement. I love tips, Mike. So, hey, uh, how are you? Good, brother. Lay it on me. What do you got? Um, well, basically, make, make a long story short, I was, I was calling in because a couple of weeks ago you were talking about water pumps, and that reminded me of my daughter's water pump I did on her 2006 Dodge Stratus. But basically... Um, just a good tip on how to drain or how to get at the drain plug on the radiator. Um, everyone on YouTube tried all kinds of things, channel locks and adjustable pliers and all, you know, all screwdrivers and the strongest fingers you could find, and nobody could really get a handle on take, taking that uh, drain plug loose. But basically all I did was I used uh, like a 15-millimeter socket right. and a quarter-inch ratchet. Okay. Um, and it kind of took a few turns, you know, here and there to get that drain plug loose. But most people on YouTube just basically ripped out one of the coolant hoses, and of course that creates a big mess. Yeah. Well. So that's a that's a good tip. I thought. I appreciate it. Now let me let me ask you this: Does the petcock have an ear on it, or is it just a 15 millimeter hex? Uh, no, it, it does have the ear. The ear. Because the other thing, the other thing you can do, all right is find an older socket that you don't care about right? and cut a slice in it. Right. Okay, and that'll work too. Now, the other thing is, and the other thing to be aware of is, depending upon how many radiators you repair in a lifetime, is they do make a socket, a petcock socket. It's got it's got the wide groove in it. It's got a couple of steps in it. It's, you know, it was probably all of 15, 20 bucks, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, that works well, too. But I get it. And you know what? I like the way you're thinking because I like working clean. Yeah. Um, you know, it's... <laughs> well, right. and, yeah. and this water pump is inside the uh, engine block driven by the timing chain. Yeah, so all that has to come apart. It's a real thrill. Yeah, it's according to the book. It's eight hours. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I worked on it piece by piece. And there's a few things I would have done differently because um, when you lower the transmission... Um, I probably would have uh, done that a little differently to get the back valve cover off. Right. Um, right. So, anyways, but but uh, another good thing is um, don't don't put that back together until you're sure that the nose of the water pump will spin freely. Because okay. the water pump I got uh, when I was laying on my back looking up at the water pump. I just thought, okay, well, why don't I just reach up there and spin the nose of the water pump before I torque down the 10-millimeter bolts? And wouldn't you know it, but it was, it was binding. Oh, because the housing was tweaked. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So even though it spun free in your hand, right? but, but it was binding inside the engine block, yeah. and that would have been... Uh, Oops! Just a disaster to do <laughs> yeah. it over again. Um, you always want to. You always want to check it as it. You always want to check it as it's um as 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 it's being operated, right? Because that tells you, that tells yeah. you the real story of what's going on. Um, yeah. So, but um, yeah. Hey, listen. 
Mike, I appreciate the call, and I appreciate the tips as well as the other listeners, and uh, thanks for being part of the Car Doctor Nation. I appreciate it very much. Let's pull over and take a pause, 855-560-9900. We're coming right back after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Ron and Andy, the Car Doctor. Thanks for being part of it this hour. And uh, more information is always at cardoctorshow.com. Podcasting and all the usual stuff there. Remember, if you're podcasting, if you're depending on how you're going about it, if you have the option to subscribe, please click subscribe. We appreciate it. It helps us. Let's go over and talk to Sam in Minneapolis, uh, 2000 Jeep Cherokee and some uh, temperature problems. Hey, Sam, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Doing good there, Ron. Yes, sir. Um, what's Got going on? Like I said, I had a 2000 Cherokee here. Okay. In the, uh, you know, the inline four, the inline six, four right. liter. Four liter. The, uh, the thermostat's right at the front there, and I was assuming, you know, with the uh, with this cold weather we have up here a couple weeks ago, I'll um, be driving down the road, upper, normal operating temp is 210. I'll look down, all of a sudden the temp will be at like 150, 170, and I'll put my hand down at the floor vent. Heat's still coming out nice and fine. Okay. I'll get to work, bring it inside, check the coolant. Coolant's good. Top radio hose is nice and hot and hard, and pressure's good. And, you know, let it cool down. I check the radiator. Radiator's full, so I'm like, okay. Um, I put a piece of cardboard in front. Made it seem like it was a diesel. And uh, it brought the – didn't let the temperature go down as far, but it still did it. Um, do you think it's, you know, a faulty sensor, too cold? Um, I, th- I, I think you got to do more testing. For, first of all, it's an OBD. It's a, it's an OBD two vehicle. All right, you know it's got onboard diagnostics too. It's you know since '96 they all have it. If engine temp was too cold, you would see a P zero one twenty eight or a P zero one twenty five, depending upon manufacturer engine temp below spec. Uh, you know, obviously, one of the places we'd go is let's go just see do we have any do we have a pending fault to to set one of those possible codes, and if we don't, then we can believe that regardless of what the mechanical gauge on the dashboard or the electric mechanical gauge on the dashboard is seeing, the onboard computer is happy with with temperature being what it is. All right, um, OBD two is my life in in the terms that that governs what and how I fix the car. All right. If if you said to me, "Hey, Ron, it runs 150, and my heat is eh," um, even if you said to me the heat is good and it turned on the check engine light, I'd be I'd be a little bit more concerned. Uh, you know, I've got to sit here and take a look at this and say, "Well, uh, the next step for me would be what does a scan tool tell me?" Because I'm not going to trust the gauge on the car that's 18 years old. You know, that's an approximation to me. Uh, you know, here I'll, I'll give one to you: the hot rod. Right, 55 Chevy, the thing I did the frame off on three years ago, four years ago. Um, that's got a strictly mechanical gauge, Stuart Warner mechanical gauge. I'll see temperature fluctuation in that. I can actually watch and tell you when the thermostat opens because I'll see that even in warm weather, warm or cold, I'll watch it and uh, I'll, I'll see the, the temperature creep up. It'll hit 205, 210. Thermostat opens and it'll drop down to about 160. And then within the next four to six minutes, it'll settle up right at about 180 and 182 where it's supposed to be, you know, and that's a very quick, very fast acting, very accurate mechanical gauge. My point is, I don't put that much authority in an electric gauge. I'd want to see what a scan tool is seeing. I want to maybe use an infrared gun and actually see what's my temperature at. I would not put a piece of cardboard in front of the radiator because I, I, I would be weary or leery of creating another problem when there isn't one. 
So let's do this. Let's put a temperature, a small thermometer in the temp duct and see how the heat is really affected by temperature. And let's uh, scan it for codes and see if we see anything else. I'm running in the car doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. 